0: Good morning, Uh, it's wonderful to be here. Cindy and I uh, just moved, we're your new neighbors. We're over in uh, Berkeley, right by Albany, in that area. And we moved just about, a little over a month ago. So it was the day after a big flooding storm. We had a U-Haul from the Central Coast and we came up. And so we love it. We love just getting to know this area Um, uh, I've been a pastor for 33 years, and uh, we did a church plant in the Seattle area. So this, actually this scene looks very familiar, the school, we met in a school for a long time. And um, and we were in Hawaii, in in Honolulu, at City Church in Honolulu. And then most recently I've been the uh, interim pastor at a church in San Luis Obispo Uh, called Trinity Church. Uh, So we were there for three years. We came in fall of 2019. And then just uh, that church, we can totally relate to the in-betweenness of what is going on uh, with you all, kind of being in-between pastors and in this kind of waiting season. Uh, But we're just here to say um, God has you Uh, There's a lot of people praying for you. God is faithful, he's good, and his timing is really, really perfect. As we have looked back and watched God at work in this most recent situation with COVID and everything, God is weaving stuff behind the scenes that we can't even imagine. Uh, He loves to work in those in-between spaces. So we just want to encourage you. We're survivors. of all that, and trust him in the middle of it, about ten years ago, um, Cindy and I uh, just started this growing sense of uh, God planting a seed in us to uh, do to practice hospitality and practice hospitality in particular with people from other nations that God is bringing into our lives, and international students and particular and we just became captivated with this idea of God is bringing the nations and we want to welcome the nations in the name of Jesus. And so we're here in Berkeley to start a ministry at uh, UC Berkeley, it's called RUF International. If you've been around our denomination, the PCA, um, you probably have heard of RUF, RUF is a college ministry to undergraduates and there's like 200 of those around the country, one at UC Berkeley, um, but there's another branch of that. So the smaller, but it focuses on international students and scholars um, and it's in response to something that God is doing uh, in uh, an amazing thing in our country. Uh, something that's kind of unheard of in the history of the world. God is bringing, each year, there's about a million international students and scholars that come to the United States to study. And uh, a lot a lot of those come to California every year. There's about 9,000 international students and scholars that come to UC Berkeley. And uh, if you've been... The International House is on the top of the campus there. Um, there's 60 this year there's 67 different countries that are represented uh, students that live there. Um, so God is calling us, Cindy and I, to partner with churches um, to practice hospitality uh, and welcome explore the gospel with people that God is drawing from all around the world. And I, I love this passage today that was read um, it, from the Book of Acts, and I particularly love this uh, man, Philip, Philip the Evangelist. Uh, as Protestants, you know, we don't have patron saints, um, but if there was a patron saint for international student ministers, it would be Philip the Evangelist, one of my grandchildren, I have, I have eight children. We, we have eight children and uh, 15 grandchildren. And so I, I've been lobbying to have one of our grandkids uh, named Philip for years. And recently we had the fourth of one of our daughters. Uh, they, they were trying to figure out what to name him. And even after the birth, it was like three days, they hadn't chosen a name. And finally, they said, okay, Dad, it's Philip. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's a great little guy. We just saw him yesterday. Um, he's really cool. It helps me to picture this passage here in three scenes, kind of drama scenes. The first, if you're writing anything down, if you want to keep track, the first scene would be on the road, um, out on the road, starting at verse 26. Verse 31, and then scene two would be in the chariot. So he's on the road, and then he's up in the chariot. That's verse 32 to 35. And then scene three is down in and through the water, maybe goes down the baptism. And each of these scenes, as in the whole book of Acts, the main character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. We see a lot of people doing a lot of different stuff, but behind the scenes, the real mover and shaker is the Holy Spirit of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit of Jesus does a lot of connecting. It's one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit is to connect. Um, And so I called this message, uh, titled it The Matchmaker. We're just gonna watch the matchmaker at work in each of these scenes. And then think about the matchmaker in our own life and what's going on, how he's doing this weaving and connecting uh, so, start with scene one, On the Road. Um, if you read Luke and Acts, written by the same, you know, Luke and Acts are the same, one, one volume one and two. Uh, Luke likes to have these, a lot of epic road scenes. Uh, there's some famous ones, where Jesus loves to meet people on roads and surprise them. So, if you know the story at the end of the book of Luke, Uh, Luke chapter 24, the road to Emmaus. These disciples are leaving Jerusalem and they're discouraged and it's Easter afternoon and evening and Jesus comes up and um, he starts discussing scriptures with them and he opens their eyes and reveals himself to them. He surprises them and at the end, you know, he's breaking bread and It's basically, surprise, it's me. Um, There's another famous road scene, Acts chapter nine. Saul is on the road to Damascus, and Jesus ambushes him along the way. And he strikes him blind, and basically says, Saul, surprise, it's me. And Saul is converted, he becomes the Apostle Paul, and the whole world is changed through that road encounter. So on this desert road, you have Jesus coming and surprising this Ethiopian, but he does it, not directly, but he does it through Philip. So Philip is his sent one to surprise this Ethiopian, through Philip and the scriptures. just want us to think about that. That's how most of us meet Jesus. Most of us meet Jesus through somebody else and the Word of God. Those two things. Verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And Philip, this is not his first assignment. Uh, we meet him first back in Acts chapter 6, where there's crisis with the widows, uh, and kind of ethnic struggles. Uh, the the Greeks and the Jewish uh, Christians there are trying to figure out how to take care of the widows. And so Philip is one of the people they select to help take care of the widows and the poor. That's his first assignment. And then earlier in Acts chapter 8, we, his second assignment is Philip goes north to from Jerusalem to Samaria. Samaria is the place where kind of the despised half-breeds are. Uh, And he's sent out there um, to proclaim the gospel. Verse 4 of chapter 8 says this, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So Philip goes from serving the widows and then he just goes right into the chaos of uh, this place in Samaria And he proclaims Jesus with power and people are freed and there's great joy. That's his second assignment. And now here, the angel says, okay, I've got another assignment for you. I want you to go down to this desert road and just hang out and uh, wait for further instructions. I'll tell you when you get there. And one of the things I love about Philip is he just continues to say yes, right? He continues to say yes when all these different assignments come his way. He gets, you know, serve the widows? Okay, I'll do that. Go to the Samaritans and talk to them. And he says, yes, okay, I'm in. Now it's go south on this covert ops kind of mission. And uh, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, and I just want you to think about people in your life. Have you met people like that who just have a habit? Their default mode is to say yes to God. It's so refreshing to be around people like that. There's a joy. There's a simplicity. There's a freedom. Uh, you know, they struggle like everyone, but there's a sense of I'm, I, there's a sense of adventure. The default is not okay, God. If if I do this, we're going to negotiate for like two years. And then we'll, You know, then maybe I'll say yes to this. There's this, oh, there's this, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And Cindy and I, we've had a lot of conversations about this as we look back on our years of ministry, uh, the times where we have felt the most joyful and refreshed, uh, places where God has used us the most, have been places where we by his grace, have been able to just say yes. Um, No strings attached here. God is looking for, by his grace, faithful and available people. And Philip shows us what discipleship looks like. And one of the ways you can tell God is at work in your life is that not perfectly, not always, but more and more you're starting to sense yeah, that's I can respond like that to this God because I love Him, I trust Him, uh, and you can honestly say yes. So that's Philip on the road. He's not alone. There's someone else. This very unusual character. Uh, so Ethiopia is about 1,600 miles from Jerusalem. So this guy's a long way from home describes him this way in verse 27. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So I love this, right? Philip is on the road. He's in the middle of nowhere. He's kind of like, okay, what next, God? And all of a sudden, out of the dust comes this chariot. And when we think of this chariot, we shouldn't think of like Ben Hur type chariot. It'd be more like a caravan, probably lots of them. You know, kind of like the Magi uh, going to the star. The chariot here is. Um, more like that, and this guy's from Ethiopia, so he's black, um, he's a eunuch, it says. It's a very common practice uh, to castrate young males and educate and train them for royal service. So this guy was trained, educated, he's the treasury secretary of Ethiopia, this ancient kingdom, so he's highly educated, he's refined, he's powerful, he's wealthy, He's part of the Ethiopian elite. So here he is, what is he doing on a desert road? It's this odd place for him to be, it's pretty mysterious. He had come to worship, he says. And as an Ethiopian, a foreigner, as a eunuch, uh, he was excluded from the temple worship in Jerusalem. Foreigners could become Jews, they could become proselytes, but as a eunuch, he could only look in the window. He could not go into the temple. He, he couldn't sit down at the table. He was doubly excluded. But obviously, he's traveled all this way. Maybe he was on official business. But he has these scrolls, these very expensive, rare scrolls, and he's pouring over them as he's traveling. The Holy Spirit is doing something amazing in his life. The matchmaker is at work. And you know, the book of Acts starts with Jesus ascended, he's on the throne, and what is Jesus doing? Through the Holy Spirit, he's at work. And what is the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit is connecting, the Holy Spirit is matchmaking people with Jesus and people with one another. And basically, here the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, Philip, Mr. Ethiopian, you two should meet, right? You two should get together. Uh, I got an email this last week. Uh, we're just brand new at starting this ministry. But I got an email through a friend. We were connected to um, a couple who are both Chinese scholars. Um, they're moving to Berkeley to do doctoral work. We don't know, we haven't met them, but it's just like, would you, Um, meet this couple at the airport. And so we started conversations with them. And we have a spare apartment where we're living. And we invited them to stay um, at uh, our apartment for a few days next week. And already, it's just like, God, you've brought people into our lives and you're stirring us up, giving us opportunities. And it's thrilling to see and to be kind of available for that. We're we're having so much fun. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So the Holy Spirit is this matchmaker. And he loves to have people meet Jesus, but he does it through other people. Uh, And that's worth thinking about. You know, it seems like it would be more efficient for the Holy Spirit. Why didn't the Holy Spirit just talk directly, come and speak directly to this Ethiopian? Why did he have to bring Philip? That's a lot of travel expenses, you know, and it's a lot of inconvenience. Why did he have to go all that way? One writer said, God doesn't come through the roof to meet us. He comes through the side doors, through other people. God loves people. He loves all kinds of people. And God loves to welcome sinners. But he welcomes sinners through welcomed sinners. That's how he works. He welcomes sinners who then welcome sinners, who then welcome sinners. It's a beautiful, messy thing that God is doing, even through us. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked do you understand what you are reading? Uh, this man says, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So the Holy Spirit says to Philip, okay, stay with this chariot. He runs to it, he gets closer. He's still not sure what's going on. But then, as he obeys, he hears this man's reading the book of Isaiah. And not just any place, Isaiah's a big book not just any place, but in this darkest place, the most explicit section about the Messiah's suffering and death and the Messiah's resurrection for many. And Philip is like, okay, this assignment is starting to make sense. And I love this exchange as they're going, you know, you can just see Philip kind of coming alongside the chariot. Okay, Mr. Ethiopian, I hear you. What are you reading? Um... My wife, Cindy, is a doula. So she's a labor and uh, delivery coach. She comes alongside and assists people, and women in childbirth. She comes alongside and basically her stance is, I'm here, what do you need? How can I help you? And the Ethiopian says, I don't get this. I need some pretty, I need some help. This is mysterious stuff. And Philip says, I happen to know something about this. Let me translate it for you. Um, So the spirit of the word, and the the Ethiopian says, come on up. He gets invited to an ongoing conversation. And down the road they go together now in this chariot. So that leads us to scene two. Uh, Down the road, up in the chariot, And this is verse 32. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And this particular section of this passage is one of the most mysterious in the whole Old Testament. All this discussion about the Messiah, and they were wondering who, you know, who is this one? Um, it's such a grim, violent passage, this victim to be slaughtered, falsely accused, humiliated, doesn't sound like a messiah. Goes on in Isaiah 53, right after this, says, after what he suffered, he will justify many. And so, actually the Heidelberg question we were looking at is kind of the same, why did Jesus, why did the Messiah have to suffer like this? Who is this? And it's a great question. The Ethiopian asks, who is this who is crushed by God to justify many? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, this is one of the sweetest passages. Beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So he's got the scroll of Isaiah there and he says, All right, let's go here and let's go here and let's go here and let's go here. And, go here. Uh, and through all this, he says, Now, meet Jesus. Uh, and the Bible can be a very confusing book. Um, what's it all about? And Philip has the key to unlock the confusing book. And Jesus had taught his disciples that. It's Jesus is the key to the whole thing. When you cut the Bible anywhere, it bleeds Jesus. Yeah? And this Isaiah scripture, Philip says... Look, everywhere you're reading here, it's about this Messiah Jesus. Jesus is the lamb. Jesus is the one led to the slaughter. Jesus is the one who was silent and didn't defend himself. Jesus is the one who was crushed so that many could be healed and made whole. By his wounds, we are healed. And Philip comes through the side door He comes with the Word and the Spirit, this tandem, the Word and the Spirit in the mouth of Philip, and it's all about surprise. Surprise, meet Jesus the Messiah. And this unique man, you know, an Ethiopian elite, miles away from home, he's meeting Jesus on this desert road through Philip. And the matchmaker is weaving this beautiful story, this beautiful account, and the light goes on. And he gets it. And all of a sudden, he realizes, this means that I have a seat at the table. I'm no longer looking in the window. And the scripture, through the Holy Spirit again, becomes radioactive for this man. You know, when when Cindy's in the labor room, and it's about time for for the birth, you know, this says, you know, ding, ding, ding. Okay, here comes the baby. The waiting is over. And that leads to the third scene here that we see through the water. Verse 36. This is so great. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? What a great question, Philip. As I, all these lights are going on. Is there some reason you can think of where I shouldn't be baptized? You know, Philip's like, I don't, I can't see any reason. And he commanded the chariot to stop. This, okay, stop everything. There's some water down there, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him." This is just breathtaking, you know. The one who's on the outside can't get in, and the lamb is slain, and the curtain is opened, and now access, every barrier removed. There's a beautiful passage a little later in Isaiah. That talks about the coming age of the Messiah, and Philip probably showed this to him. It reads this way, Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let let not any eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. A foreigner and a eunuch. Don't say these things, because it's not true anymore. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Oh, Mr. Ethiopian, because Jesus was excluded, you are included. Because Jesus was cut off, you are grafted in and made whole. And Philip says, you have a new name now and a new family and a new future. And he says, I baptize you. Now in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Wow. In the Old Testament, you know, Pharaoh is on his chariot, and he goes down through the Red Sea, and he gets buried in judgment. Here, this man goes and gets down off his chariot, and he goes through the water of death, but it's the death of Christ. And he comes out into life everlasting. And the matchmaker is not just saying, meet Jesus. Now it's you are united to Jesus. That's what baptism is. You have his name and his life and his future and his record. You become his, right, forever and ever. And at some level, this man understands and he's just filled up with joy. He can't believe it. There's joy in the desert. Verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azatus and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. He gets a new assignment and they both leave with joy. And as we come to the Lord's table today, I just want you to think about a couple of things. One is, um, Jesus loves to surprise people. He loves to surprise people in unlikely places. He loves to surprise you. He has surprised you. He continues to surprise you, right? You see him. He loves to surprise people who come across the world to get a master's degree or a PhD to pursue whatever. He loves to open the scriptures and say, Hi, it's me, Jesus. All right? Jesus loves to surprise people. This is the second thing. He loves to surprise people through other people who have been surprised. We are welcomed sinners who welcome sinners. That's what gospel hospitality is. It's a double joy. We're welcomed sinners who get to welcome sinners. So I just want to end with a story here that I heard um, just a couple of months ago. As a man, a Prem Pradhan, who was the apostle of Nepal. Pradhan may be more responsible than any other person, in seeing a handful of Christians in Nepal in the 1950s become over 100,000 today. Pradhan was a Nepali Air Force officer stationed for a period in North India where he heard the famous Indian Christian Bhakt Singh speak at his military base. Pradhan was converted, went back to Nepal, and continued as a witness even during frequent imprisonments. But what about Bhakt Singh, the person who led Pradhan to Christ? Singh was used in tremendous ways in India, starting a church planting movement that eventually brought more than 500 churches into existence. How did Bach Singh come to Christ? Now listen to this. As an international student in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Singh had nowhere to go for Christmas break. While working out at the local YMCA, he met an old man. Stuck. Struck by the peaceful face of the man, Singh commented on it. The elderly man, a Christian, asked Singh to spend Christmas with him and his wife. Singh did and became a believer. What then was the secret of the conversion of two great men and Christian movements in two Asian countries? It was the simple obedience of one Canadian follower of Christ to two simple words of admonition by Paul. Practice hospitality. And I just I just love that story. I mean just see this old Canadian guy, I don't really feel like working out, it's cold. <laughs> and he goes to the YMCA and he meets this young man and he smiles and they become friends. He invites him home. And the Holy Spirit does this great matchmaking work. Um, Would you please pray with me? Father, thank you for your deep love in sending your Son. Jesus, we thank you for your deep love in making a way for us to be at your table today. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your deep love in coming to us and opening the scriptures to us and opening our eyes and our hearts, showing us that the place of suffering is the place of welcome. Thank you for uniting us to Jesus. As we come to the table today, give us grace to receive you. Give us grace to welcome others in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.